This message was presented at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Good evening, GYC. I hope that you had a major blessing at the seminars today and that you're ready for outreach tomorrow. Amen? Amen. Young people, rightly trained, can change the world. Amen? Amen. Do you believe this? I believe that education is paramount to the success of our church. The Seventh-day Adventist Church has associations with over 8,500 educational institutions with over 1.95 million students across the world. You can believe in those statistics. I got them straight from Wikipedia. Of all the churches in the world, we have the largest network of educational institutions behind only the Catholic Church. But friends, numbers are not enough. We have a mission. The true object of education is to restore the image of God in the soul. And working within education, I see just how difficult this can be. This is something that we cannot do in our own strength. Many months back in preparing for this message, I came across a quote by the great German reformer Martin Luther. He says, I am much afraid that the universities will prove to be the great gates of hell unless they diligently labor in explaining the Holy Scriptures and engraving them in the hearts of the youth. I advise no one to place his child where the Scriptures do not reign paramount. Every institution in which men are not unceasingly occupied with the Word of God shall become corrupt. Friend, the title for this evening's message is The Great Gates of Hell. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray for your presence, for your spirit, and for your power. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe that Adventism's very identity can be found in the three angels' message, the everlasting gospel. Can you say amen? You cannot discuss the history nor the presence, the present of our church without this chapter. It is absolutely fundamental to who we are, to what we are, to when we are, and why we are. And I think that we would do our best at putting it to memory. For it is in the first angel's message when the words fear God and give Him the glory for the hour of His judgment is come that Josiah Fitch was awakened, that William Miller was given added impetus to preach the message of the Lord and that, the, and that heralded the birth of the great Advent movement. Ellen White stated that the theme of greatest importance is the third angel's message. Embracing the messages of the first and second angels all should understand the truths contained in these messages and demonstrate them in the daily life for they are, listen to this, essential to salvation. Well, what does this have to do with education? Friend, Sister White says that the true object of education is to restore the image of God in the soul. That is the gospel. The third angel's message is not a complex one. It is about receiving the seal of God in the mind. It is about the mind being transformed into the very mind of Christ. And that, my friends, is also the work of education. 
It was envisioned in 1872 that Ellen White wrote, it comprehends, speaking of education, the practice of temperance, of godliness, of brotherly kindness, and love to God and to one another. And in order to attain this object, the physical, the mental, the moral, and religious education of children must have attention. Friends, I hope that this is not new to you, but I fear that it might be. The purpose of education and the purpose of school is to save souls. Your soul, your friend's soul, your classmate's soul, your teacher's soul, and your community's soul. God can save by few or by many, but He has blessed us with such educational institutions because His desire is to save by many. This is why the very first Adventist schools were erected with this missionary focus. Yes, did they offer language courses? Of course, so that you could communicate the gospel effectively. Did they offer practical trade training? Yes, so that you could support yourself in the gospel work. Adventist education had a focus, a mission, a theme. With such an army of workers as our youth, rightly trained, might furnish how soon the message of a crucified, risen, and soon coming Savior might be carried to the whole world. Friends, I ask you, does that exist today? Do our schools bear the name of this God-given movement? Do they still have the, this philosophy built into the dorms? Does it bring focus to the classroom? Does it unite the student body in mission? I fear that at times it does not. The quote that I just read concludes, how soon might come the end, the end of suffering and of sin. But it seems to me that sometimes the goal of education looks like it's not to get rid of sin and bring this world to an end, but rather to make our experience in it more comfortable. As the great reformer Melanchthon once said, religion cannot be maintained without schools. And if you are on the opinion that the church may be struggling, then by default, our educational institutions cannot be reaching the goals and standards that heaven desires. Our brief history, mind you, is littered with great schools that eventually lost their greatness, some of which don't even exist anymore. If you trace the lines through history, if you look at places such as Battle Creek, if you look at Madison, if you go even before the Advent movement and look at Bible schools such as Oberlin College and a little further back even Harvard, you will see a pattern and a trend. When these educational institutions ceased in making the Scriptures their core textbook, God's blessing upon them also slowly ceased. Friends, when sociology begins to trump theology, we are sliding down the slipperiest of slopes. Over time, many of our great Protestant universities dispelled their Christian undertones in favor of funding and worldly acclamation. In Testimonies, Volume 5, we're told that the Lord never designed that our colleges should imitate other institutions of learning. The religious element should be the controlling power. Friends, a true Christian school not only has the Bible in its curriculum, Bible principles are the guides of the student's life, and the spirit of the Bible is the sole inspiration of the school. The school must be more than a place for the distribution of information. We're told that the world does not need so much men of great intellect, as much noble character. Just why it says that character building is the most important work ever entrusted to human beings. 
What the world, I believe, needs to see today is the power of the gospel. And that is most clearly seen when the character of Jesus Christ is reproduced in his people. But to what end does our education work towards today? Very often I believe it is towards the uplifting of self. We usually go to school not for, not for the Lord, but for ourselves. The focus shifts from salvation to success. Friends, I believe that success in heaven looks very different to success on earth. Friends, I believe that God wants to bless our institutions. But heaven places no value in worldly success. It cares not about our cars or our homes. It cares not about our income or our status. Its agencies are moved no more for those that have PhDs than those that have never been to school. Heaven places value in character. That's why it's the only thing we're going to take with us. Jesus Christ came to set us free from the bondage and slavery of sin. But so often we enslave ourselves to wealth and material things when a fire is coming, friends, that is so hot that not even the purest gold will stand in its place. And if you think that perhaps we do have the right focus, let me ask you a question. With all of the Adventist young people we have in schools, how many Adventist businesses are we producing? You tell me whether we are truly educating people to take forward the work of the Lord or whether we are just teaching them how to make money for the world. Character is to be the focus of our educational institutions. Character. My fear though is that on many grounds, academics is beginning to trump discipleship. I remember being in church and witnessing the return of one of my friends after they had spent four years in school. They come back with their degree, called up to the front of the sanctuary and given a rousing applause because they have found success. The problem though, and I know this because they told me this, is that in the same place they found success, they lost Christ. Friends, it is no victory to achieve worldly status and miss out on a heavenly one. What about the students that leave to secular universities and they drop out because they just see they can't maintain their faith, their faith, they're not strong enough yet, and they come home and they sit at the back of the church, where's their applause? Friends, their applause is in heaven. I believe it is the responsibility of our schools to place character building at the very epicenter of all that they do. But for some, what matters most is money, that we need to keep the school afloat. Friends, with all due respect, those that have money are not keeping our schools afloat. God is keeping our schools afloat. If we have schools still standing in today's world, it is not just because of the hard work of staff, and it is not just because of the investment of some of our faithful members. It stands because God holds it up. It stands because he believes that they can still be effective training centers for our young people today. But if all we look at are enrollment numbers and financial standings and grades, friends, we completely miss the point of Adventist education. It is not the Lord's will that our schools be so academically rigorous that one cannot find time for prayer, that one's spiritual life is crowded out by textbook and papers, that degrees and diplomas are put before devotion and dedication to the cause of Christ. We must understand 
that whilst it is admirable to have a large number of institutions across the world to have graduates becoming doctors and working for large firms, if we have, fa we have failed, if we have not given them everything in ensuring that when our young people leave our schools, they do so with the strongest relationship with Jesus that is possible to them. Can we win every soul? Of course not. But not even Jesus wins every soul. That's not the goal. The goal is to make an effort for every soul. And so to my fellow educators, I ask you, do your students see Jesus in you? Are they encouraged to follow Christ, not just because of how you teach, but how you live? To my principals and my head teachers, do your staff members follow you because they know God is leading you? Or do they follow you because they're afraid if they stand up, they'll lose their position? To my presidents and my board members, have you analyzed and scrutinized every single aspect of the institutions you oversee to ensure that this school is working towards training young people to not just work for God, but to live for God? Now, I don't believe that the finger need only be pointed at our schools. I think that maybe we need to point it a little closer to home. The Bible says in Proverbs, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart of it, from it. That is speaking about a child that is being trained before he goes to school. Solomon is, in a sense, surmising that the success of the school first depends on the success of the home. It's at home that we are taught to love God. It is at home that these principles are applied on these young, growing minds. It's every parent's dream that a child would truly confess their love for God. But oftentimes that confession of love comes because they have been taught to love. Friends, I'm afraid to say that homeschooling your children is not enough. I appreciate that some mothers and even some fathers have given up their jobs and their careers to educate their children at home, but simply homeschooling is not enough. Simply having the child at home during hours of schooling is not enough. They need attention, they need training, and they need the love of God, and they need it when it is not just convenient for their parents. Homeschooling does not automatically equal righteousness. Some of us are so concerned with not sending our children to school, yet they stay at home and all they witness is mom and dad arguing and fighting, if they even witness mom and dad at all. In that case, send them to school. It is the responsibility, I believe, of every parent that bears the name of Christ to devote themselves to the training of their children. Listen to what I said, the training of their children. Because a lot of parents are out there training other people's children and expecting the academies to train theirs. The problem is that by the time your children get to our academies, they're already 14, 15, and 16 years old. Their characters, their habits, their beings are formed. And I'm grateful for a platform such as GYC so that something like this only has to be said once. Adventist education was never meant to combat Adventist homes. Our pioneers did not sacrifice everything in building these schools so that our parents could neglect their God-given duty of raising a child in the hope that an underpaid Adventist teacher would pick up the slack. 
I've seen this, I've witnessed it for years, I've witnessed as the staff that I work side by side with give their lives trying to correct the crippling habits that have been formed because of the negligence in the home. The number of young men and women that eventually reach our schools that are already addicted to movies and music and video games is heartbreaking. And oftentimes they arrive more worldly than the non-Adventists. How did it come to this? How did we get to the point where we are allowing the internet to raise our children? God forbid that it's because we're busy doing the Lord's work. Raising our children is the Lord's work. There's no point being out there saving souls when the one soul that you're actually responsible for is at home addicted to movies and pornography. Friends, God is not honored when we disown our children for the mission field. How do we expect our children to grow up loving the Lord and His work if all we've shown them is that the work is more important to us than them? How will they love the God that seemingly stole their parents? And I say that knowing how easy it is to fall into that temptation. Because it's easy to be up here and preach and baptize, but it's at home where the real work is. Friends, let me give you some advice as this is your problem. Leave the mission field. The home is your mission field. God will supply that mission field's needs, but God has already supplied your children's needs. He supplied you. Children need their parents so much more than they need their teachers, but so often their teachers are working two jobs. The Bible says in the 127th Psalm, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so children are of the youth. Arrows are young people, are weapons. If the Bible was written today, it might even call them bullets. They were created, listen to me, they were created to do damage. Many new parents have recognized this already. The children barely begin to walk and they're already doing damage in the home. But it makes sense. Our children and our students are young people. You young people are weapons. This is why we're told that we have an army of youth because we're going to war and one needs weapons when we go to war. And I love this analogy because I don't know how many of you have fired an arrow or shot a bullet, but you would have realized that once it sets out, it rarely changes course. You don't see an arrow just shoot out of a bow and then eventually take a 90 degree turn because it felt like it. Arrows go where we aim them. Bullets go where we aim them. And so do young people. They hit whatever they're aimed at. You don't aim them, they go nowhere. And it makes no sense to be pointing them towards secularism and then just be completely shocked when they turn out secular. That's where we pointed them. The harsh reality is that many of our young people have left the Lord because that's where we shot them. They left Oftentimes, not because of the lack of spirituality in the church, but because of the lack of spirituality at home. The result of daddy always being at meetings and on visitations, but no time for his sons or daughters. The result of mommy being so concerned with cleanliness because someone told her that cleanliness is next to godliness, and she hasn't realized that it's the hearts of her, her children that are filthy. 
It's the result of our parents being so conservative that we as young people are far more concerned with not sinning than we are with having a relationship with Christ. It's the result of our parents being so liberal that we think we can just come to Him whenever and however we like. And then the cherry on this horrible cake is the parental pressure to achieve academic success. This could be a whole sermon. And parents, please don't think this is for someone else. It might be for you and young people. It might be for how you're going to grow up. I appreciate the parental desire for our children to do well in life, to prosper and be in good, good health. That's the Lord's will also. But when we are extinguishing our children's missionary zeal so that we can vicariously live through them and take glory in their academic achievements to make it feel as though we have just rendered some success, we have robbed the Lord of a gospel worker. I might not make too many friends for this statement, but young people, your life is not your own, but it is also not your parents. Obey your parents in the Lord. It is your duty to first and foremost follow the voice of your God. Friends, if we get the home wrong, we get the schools wrong. If we get the schools wrong, we get the church wrong. And I know that there are parents out there giving their all, giving every ounce of their being to do all they can to raise children in the fear of the Lord. God is with you. There are single parents out there, some divorced, some widowed. God is with you. This is not an attack. This is an alarm. It is an alarm that we cannot keep pressing the snooze button on. And I am pleading with our parents and with our educators, please take the time to love your young people. Because in my history of being in education, that's the one thing that I've seen the most. Broken young people because they have not really experienced love. Friends, it's my greatest desire to see revival and reformation on our Adventist campuses. We have some institutions that have thousands of students. Imagine the work that can be done. But friends, revival does not just happen. Revival is not random. We do not believe in random. We are creationists. We believe in purpose and we believe in design. We believe in intentionality. And I believe that something as institutionalized as education needs not just revival from the bottom down, but from the top up. Friends, it's not easy being a leader, especially in the realms of education. You are surrounded by vastly intelligent people with great ideas and philosophies and sometimes their own agendas. I pray daily for revival and reformation among the leaders of our institutes. But allow me to interject this on the slight chance that school principals, board members, and department heads might catch this message. Our schools do not belong to you. They belong to God. It is your responsibility to sit down with the scriptures, with your staff members, with the spirit of prophecy, and ask yourself the hard questions. Ask yourself if the institutions you are a part of or leading are following the light that God has given us. Is the Bible the main textbook? And I don't mean is it just in the classroom. I mean, is it being taught in the classes and not just Bible classes? Are you using the Bible to teach your math classes, to teach your science classes, to teach your English classes? Is the education that we give our young people actually practical? 
Will it benefit their lives? Because most students are ever learning but never come to a true learning of truth. Friends, I fear for our young people because I see them all the time. I see the stress. I see the pain. I see the struggle. Sometimes our courses and our curriculum are so challenging and rigorous academically that we leave no vital energy left for the students to spend in places like the garden. The greatest travesty that we see agricultural studies slowly being weeded out of our curriculum. We have robbed our students of a vastly practical education and told them that the most merit is found in how much information they can memorize and regurgitate from their professor's PowerPoint slides. What happened to not just reflecting another man's thoughts? What happened to teaching our young people to think for themselves? Friends, are we producing gospel workers? Are we producing medical missionaries? Or are we just producing pastors and doctors? Because there's a difference. I challenge those of you that sit atop of these educational institutions to come down a little. Analyze from the bottom up and not just the top down. Revival is possible in our campuses if that's what all of us desire collectively. I spoke earlier of the missionary zeal that once accompanied the early days of our schools. Friends, I believe that this is truly what we need. And oftentimes to bring revival onto our campuses, maybe where we should shift our focus is revival in our communities. What do I mean by this? For the past two years, the school that I have attended, We My Institute, decided that we were going to take our shift and our focus off of ourselves and onto our surrounding neighborhoods and communities. We came up with a program called TCI, Total Community Involvement. It's a great premise. Catch this. For one half day of the week, every Wednesday afternoon, school stops, everything stops, work stops, and we go out into the community and we work for them in whatever realm they want for free. Imagine an opportunity to be like Jesus for half a day. And it is on the campus, I believe, directly as a result of the, of the extraneous outreach work that has been done that we have experienced revival inwardly. Is there room for growth? Of course. But as Ellen White said, the early church oftentimes forgot that strength to resist evil is best gained through aggressive service. Friends, I know that not all of you are students, not all of you students in, Adv in Adventist institutions, but wherever you are, this is for you. Strength to resist evil is best gained through aggressive service. And so I implore you to serve God with all of your heart. And to my friends and fellow young people holding up the banner in secular universities, God is with you. Do not forget that the man whose prophecies our church is built upon gained his higher education in a secular university. But please do not believe that your calling is any less than the rest of the people in Adventist universities. Daniel changed the world from inside the halls and walls of Babylon through making wise choices in social situations and spending time in prayer with like-minded friends. Friends, we cannot be satisfied with where we are. We must go forward. We must work for change. And as I said last night, and I repeat again, you can make a difference. 
Your student associations and student leaders can make a difference. Your small groups and your youth retreats, they can make a difference. Your conversations in the dorm halls and in the cafeteria, in the classrooms, they can make a difference. And I praise God because I know so many out there that are making a difference. I know so many that are keeping that banner high and that are great examples and witnesses in the schools in which they study and work. Friends, you are doing the Lord's work. And we praise God for your faithfulness, for your commitment, and for your dedication. You are changing lives. Your sacrifices are recorded in the books of heaven and in the changed lives of the young people who have come across your paths. But we need more. And so students, we must look at ourselves. We must look within. Revival will not take place on our campuses if it does not first take place in our hearts. We must ask ourselves, why are we even choosing to become students? Because some of our priorities are really messed up. There's more to life than a degree. There's more to life than a 4.0, as glossy as it may look. Don't let your 4.0 stand for four years of studies and zero souls brought to the Lord. Even when you are in school, work for Jesus. Because whilst you're in school, Jesus is working for you. So many of our young people are out here spending their health on achieving wealth just to spend their wealth on reachieving health. We're wasting our time. To what end? So that we can have careers? So that we can have cars and houses? So that our cars can drive themselves? Give me a break. You can have more than that. You can have more than silver and gold. You can have more than glossy paper in a frame. Friends, there's openings in the Lord's army. Students, I hope you listened to last night's message. It only takes one. One young soul filled with the Holy Spirit to the brim to enact the greatest of changes. And so I implore you, win your school back. Don't just say, well, I'm in the third year of my fourth in studies and I'm going to leave eventually. What does it matter? It matters the legacy you leave behind. It matters that the school that you're in is better for you being in it. If you feel like your school has strayed from the educational blueprint that this school has been gifted, then do something about it. It's too easy to sit there under the proverbial pomegranate trees and blame everyone else. One thing I've learned is simple. If you're not willing to do something about it, then keep this closed. Because your lackadaisical attitude surrenders your right to be critical. Friends, we're not alone in our desires. I believe that the Lord wants to transform our educational institutions. A complete transformation. God will fight for us. So I encourage you to pray for your schools. Get together with your friends that are like-minded and put together strategic plans to implement change. Dialogue with your leaders, your presidents, your student leadership, your pastors, your board members. Work together to make a difference, to put mission-focused Adventist schools back on the map. 
And friends, if you cannot find a school that is following God's plan, build it. It was once an outlandish dream that Andrews University campus would exist, that Southern University campus would exist, that Loma Linda, that Oakwood, that Walla Walla, that Unaspi, that Spicer would exist, that NCU, that Helderberg and Bogenhofen and Cologne and Newbold and Berman and Avondale would exist. They were pipe dreams, but the Lord made them happen. Maybe we need more schools. Sister White says, if a worldly influence is to bear sway in our school, then sell it all to the worldlings and let them have the entire control. And those that have invested their means in those institutions will establish another school to be conducted not upon the plan of popular schools, nor according to the desires of principals and teachers, but upon the plan which God has specified. I'm not giving up on our schools. But I'm also not willing to sit down and watch as we become like other schools. Adventist education should be having a marked difference in the world. And in some places it is, but we need to turn that dial up. Friends, don't give up on our schools. Don't stop praying for them. Don't stop supporting them. Don't stop supporting those students. We have educators all over the world that are giving their lives for the gospel through our schools. I encourage you to support them. And so tonight I have but two, one appeal, but for two completely different groups of people. The first is for our leaders, our teachers, our presidents, our board members, our pastors, our parents, our student leaders, all of our educators, Show tonight that you too desire revival and reformation on your campuses and in your homes. I don't know what that means for you. I don't know whether that means revising curriculum. I don't know whether that means instituting family worship at home. I don't know whether that means reevaluating your staff members. I don't know whether that means completely changing your school. But if today you're in one of those categories, if today you sit here as a leader, and I know there may not be many, this is a youth conference. But if you're here, my appeal goes to you. If the Spirit of God is speaking to you to be a part of a movement of revival and reformation in our schools, I encourage you to step forward this evening. I encourage you to stand here at the front and let your presence testify to those that are underneath you that we are in this work together. I stand with you. I know the high calling that God places on parents and on educators. I want you to know that your work is not in vain. I believe that if our focus is on revival within our schools and within our homes, we will be home in no time. Our homes and our schools will instead be in heaven. A foretaste of Eden. A retaste of Eden.
Young people, I want you to look up. Because as much as we as young people need to be held accountable, so do our leaders. That is not to say if they mess up, because they'll mess up, we all mess up. We need grace. But be there for them. Pray for them. Encourage them in the work that they do, because very often it is a thankless position. They're the ones that we notice when everything is falling apart, but when everything is going smoothly, we just kind of turn a blind eye while they're just doing the work that they're supposed to do. Encourage. Encourage your educators. Encourage your leaders. Friends, encourage your parents. And for our students and our young people, I believe you can make all the difference. If you want to respond to this message, I encourage you to give God your education. If you want to be a missionary in your school, if you want to be a part of helping your school, our schools, get back on track. Maybe you see that revival is needed in your dormitory. Maybe it's needed in your cafeteria. Maybe it's needed in your classrooms. Friends, you can make the difference. You can be more than just a number. God can work in you. There will be bumps in the road and mistakes will be made. But young people, I encourage you. I encourage all of you. Stand. Stand not just for yourself. Stand not just for your own success. But stand for the success of the gospel. Stand for the success of the gospel being used and worked through our academic institutions. Stand so that we can experience the revival that we should have experienced a hundred years ago. But don't you dare stand and then revert to type. Don't you stand and wait for someone else to do it. Communication, communication, communication. Let's work together to make the difference. Can you say amen? Father in heaven, Lord, we put these things in your hands because we have no strength, we have no power, we have no ability to bring effective and effectual change, long-lasting change, true revival and reformation. But Lord, I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen that our schools can experience those things. I've seen that we can send out medical missionaries. I've seen that we can send out gospel workers that are willing to lay down their lives as the martyrs of old. Father, put that missionary zeal back in our hearts. Father, may we live and may we learn for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take a sacrificial initiative for Christ. To download other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.